Welcome back to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Brailists everywhere. And coming up this time... Chinese Braille system is like 21 initials and 35 finals. Then you can consist them in different syllables. Braille around the world. A special event to mark World Braille Day. Well, a very happy Easter from all of us here at the Braillists Foundation. Goodness me, it seems like only yesterday that it was Christmas. And speaking of Christmas, just after Christmas is World Braille Day. And of course, we know about Braille in the UK and we regularly hear about Braille in other developed English-speaking countries like the US, Australia, New Zealand and so on. But there are many other countries where we know much less about Braille. How's it taught? How's it produced? How easy is it to obtain? What Braille technology is in use? So to mark World Braille Day 2022 on the 4th of January, we met up with three international panellists to explore these issues in more detail. Adriana Prokopenko is a teacher of English and English Braille in a school for the blind in Macedonia. Yanan Yu from China has a master's degree in disability studies and is currently an intern at Bristol Braille Technology. Prior to this, she worked for a year as an editor at China Braille Press. And Christo de Klerk is a founding member of Braille SA, the first president of the South African Braille Authority and immediate past president of the International Council on English Braille. He's a former student of the Pioneer School for the Visually Impaired, formerly the School for the Blind in Worcester, where he later returned as a member of staff teaching law and Braille and establishing computerised Braille production. He qualified in law and practised as a lawyer for several years before retraining as a computer programmer, and he's developed braille tables for 10 South African languages in Duxbury, 8 in Liblui, and 1 for the Afrikaans language in the Embraille app for iOS. His last job before retirement was an IT specialist in one of South Africa's banks. This session was recorded live. It was moderated by Ben Mustel-Rose, and it was hosted by Dave Williams. I want to start by exploring the perceptions of blind people and of Braille around the world. Adriana, in Macedonia, um, are blind people, how, how are they perceived by society? How are we perceived by society? Is it a, a one of, you know, uh, let's let's care for blind people or do blind people have meaningful jobs uh, and is there a public perception of Braille? Uh, would would somebody on the street recognise Braille if they saw it? Well, you know, like in most places in developing countries, I think blind people generally we struggle a lot with when it comes to uh, proving ourselves who we are and what we are all about. Discrimination is still high. Public awareness is not that great. So we use the media to kind of educate the public as much as we can uh, and help them learn more about us, as well as in everyday life as we go through things. Uh, you know, you kind of have to, when you deal with people, you try to do the best. But I think generally, no one feels that it's their responsibility personally to do something that would help the disabled, not just the blind. People may help out with, you know, little things like crossing the street and all that, but when it comes to accessibility, 
the ball is kind of turning around from one person to another and one organization to another. And the state is always giving excuses that funding is short. But generally, I think that we need to work on these things for a very long time to be able to solve them. Yannan, in, in, in China, um, are there blind role models? How, uh, you know, what do blind people have in the way of hope? You know, young blind people growing up and, and, and looking out into the world and thinking, what am I going to do with my life? Are there, are there blind people that, uh, you know, young blind kids can, can kind of aspire to? And, and, and what is the public awareness of Braille in, in China? How would you characterize that? Um, as I know, it really depends on how much education that I've received. Um, because my master research is about employment of blind people. So um, generally, the public awareness of us is more about we should be carefully cared um, than um, if blind people have been well-educated so um, they can lead an, it's like a common life or normal life, like other sighted persons. So um, the public awareness of us is we should be cared. Um, and we'd better stay at home and have some pension from government. Uh, yeah, but personally, um, from some well-educated blind, they think um, we can do everything. Um, because their education gives them confidence to like compete with their sighted peers. Christo, what was the biggest uh, obstacle you had to overcome uh, when uh, pursuing a career in, in law? Well, I think the most difficult part was studying because at that stage, I'm talking now about early medieval times, uh, we did not have computers and things and getting material read. And those books are so huge, it was just not feasible to have them done in Braille. So I had to get people to read them on, on tape. There was still those open real tapes at that stage. Um, I think that getting my law degrees uh, was much harder than actually doing the job in the end. And getting access to to materials in in Braille is is clearly a problem everywhere. Let's go back to you, Adriana. Um, uh, you're you're teaching Braille, but uh, how is it? How easy is it to procure a Braille tuition if you're a child and you you need to learn uh, Braille? Is that something that's that's widely offered, or is it something that parents would need to advocate for? Uh, and 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 the same for an adult. What happens if somebody um, loses their eyesight later in life? Do they have the opportunity to to learn Braille? When when the students come to our school, they learn Braille. If they get the paper from the doctor that their eyesight is bad enough for them to need to use Braille, that's what we teach them. And as far as other organizations and schools, I really don't think that Braille is properly offered or taught or even I don't even think that they have the staff or the equipment to be able to do it so you know that's the as far as adults I don't really think we have many uh, programs for uh, 
people that get that lose their eyesight later in life. And 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 Yan, and what's been your your experience uh, from a sort of a Chinese perspective? Uh, somebody wanting to start off with Braille, who would they turn to? Where would they go? What would they do to 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 get started learning Braille? Um, as I know, um, now they have enough materials and resources to learn Braille, even as a beginner. Um, because I have one year work experience in China Braille Press, so um, I can always get their updates. Um, as I know, they have published many Braille courses. Uh, some suit for beginners, some suit for some uh, visual impact people who want to learn more or understand more uh, real knowledge, for example, math, science, or music uh, science in Braille. And another thing I know is now they have published a mobile app called Wensing. Um, Braille studying assistant. Uh, so via this app, they can learn Braille and even they can uh, do some practice on it. But I have never used it. So I'll just uh, read its instruction, the introduction. So I think uh, it's quite helpful. That sounds pretty good. Christo, are there enough Braille learning resources and, and, and teachers in South Africa? And if there aren't, what, what can we do about that? I do not think there are nearly enough. Um, you know, at, at school, we have a problem uh, that most teachers of blind learners do not know Braille. Um, we try and train them. Uh, our organization, Blind SA, and the SA uh, Braille Authority together uh, formed a partnership to, to do Braille training at school. So we do groups of teachers together. Um, the SA National Council for the Blind and Blind SA have Braille trainers who also train individuals. Um, but, you know, we if we had more resources, we, we could do much more training. Um, Adriana, in, in Macedonia, what um, what Braille equipment uh, are people using? We have Braille, Braillers, uh, mostly made in Slovakia, that students are using and we are using. And unfortunately, the state of the Braillers is not always the greatest. And we have problems with getting spare parts. We don't have trained people to fix them, so that, that's a big problem when it comes to consistency. We have a Braille display at work that we got about 15 years ago, but you know it needs updating, and uh, as computers and programs progress, uh, things have to be you know, kind of in line one with another to be able to use them with you know, students and all that. Uh, and and Yan and what what braille equipment uh, uh, are people using in China? I mean, we always think of of China as being sort of technologically uh, quite advanced. Does everybody have a braille display, or, or or are you using other tools and aids? Um, as I know, most of us still using very uh, old way to write braille, uh, using slate and stylus. Um, but also another factor. Mm, should be considering um, is 
their financial situation. As I know, some、uh, visual impaired people they have their own braille display because their parents able to purchasing them one, even two, and some using brailler just. A、uh, manual roller, it's like Perkins, and、um, but most of us study in special education school. We use、um, slate and stylus, and some except inclusive education. Maybe the school or their university will purchase them real display and real computer, even all kinds of real、uh, electronic real equipments. So. It's very from personal situation, I guess. Christo, can you just kind of talk about some of the、um, environmental factors, you know, across、um, Africa that that may impact the ability of of braille equipment、uh, to work reliably? Yes,、uh, traditionally we have been using. Most people have been using Perkins,、um, but we find that you know there's a A shortage of braille writers in schools, for example. So, a blind SA has been importing the Tatrapoint from Slovakia, which costs about half the price of the Perkins. We, we're promoting that, and we're getting machines into the hands of more people.、Um, we have been trained to to fix them by the people from Slovakia, and、uh, you know we are in a position to. To help neighboring countries,、um, we have good relations. For example, with with Uganda,、uh, we supply them with braille paper, and with the closer countries like Zimbabwe and、um, and Botswana, we we assist them with、uh, fixing their writers and, and providing braille paper that sort of thing. And and just before we go to、uh, questions、uh, from the floor,、um, Adriana, how do you find procuring obtaining、uh, braille books in in Macedonia? Where do you where do you get your braille books? Well, we don't really currently have that many braille books. There were a couple of projects that the Association for the Blind they did a couple of books, but、uh, recently USID. Uh, and one of the universities here, they help us、um, do some books for the lower grades. As far as English books, we don't really have anything, so I have to basically do it myself. So you're cre- you're creating your own learning resources, and is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, my own, and I have to also adapt them. Plus, we have to use the ones that are given by the Ministry of Education, so they all have to be you know, updated and put into use. Otherwise. We would have problems, so that's what we're doing. And and Yan, and what does somebody in China do if they want to get a book in Braille? Um, yeah, they can either buy online or phone China Braille Plus to order any book they want. But not every book have Braille version. But uh, sometimes they can negotiate with um Braille is like producer to see if they can um produce one only for them. Or for the user, so、uh, we every year will produce is about one、um, thousand or even over one thousand、uh, types of real books. It's like、um, different books, yeah. Then we can offer 
um, personal order. Just if someone want to um, buy some book, but we don't have royal version, we can produce for them. But um, this will take a longer time. And another way is they can um, try to find the digital version online because now China Broadcast still have their own website. So they have real version books, materials, music pieces. So once you have a braille reader or a braille display, you can read them and download them for free. Uh, that's all I know. Uh, so we're going to come to Sheila first, and after Sheila, we're going to come to someone uh, whose name ends in Lewis Smith. Uh, so Sheila, uh, you are now unmuted. Right, thank you. I, I, when I think of the Chinese language, I think of pictures. Um, and, and so I thought, how do you put pictures into Braille, or am I wrong? Um, Chinese braille system. Um, all you know, Chinese is a very complicated language. So um, at each character, they pronouncing the, their pronunciation is the same, but they have different meaning. But in braille, we um, only use um, fifty six. Um, it's like a braille dots form to represent all Chinese. Um, pronunciation so um they have it's like 21 initials and uh 35 finals then you can match them or com consist them in different syllables so they can pronounce in all chinese words but through one uh through one pronunciation for example my name, Nan, Yanan. I take Nan as example. Nan, uh, its initial is N. So in Chinese, it pronounced N. A-N is um, An. So its Chinese pronunciation is Nan. But it has a many, many different Chinese meaning. It can be mean male. It can mean difficult. It can mean on south <laughs> so a uh, braille can only let you pronounce the correct voice but without seeing the whole passage or whole sentence or whole paragraph you don't know what that's a single word single pronunciation mean so chinese braille is more like a mm, pronunciation system it's not like Chinese characters, you can, through a, a seeing one character, you can know its meaning. Yeah, so it's phonetic and you're using two cells um, and then you have uh, a certain number of possibilities in the first cell and a certain number of possibilities in the second cell and then that tells you how you would pronounce that, that particular sound. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because in English Braille, we try to uh, represent the print um, as much as possible. Uh, so a very different um, approach there in, in Chinese. Great question, Sheila. Thank you. 
Yeah, thanks for that one, Sheila. Um, we're going to come to, and apologies if I'm mispronouncing your name here, we're going to come to uh, Defrig Lewis-Smith uh, next, and after you, we're going to come to Daniel Gillen. Uh, so, uh, Defrig, you are now unmuted. Uh, thanks, Ben. Good try. Uh, dove, dove like the bird, riggers in oil. Um, I, th I think I've got a very similar question to, to, to Sheila. I, I, uh, it was interesting what Christo was saying about in South Africa with um, so many um, national languages. Now, I, I was just interested in how the, the, how the coding worked. You know, it was, it was interesting whether, whether Afrikaans, is Afrikaans Braille is essentially a, a transliteration of Dutch or if things like Hossa um, and the other languages um, are basically transliterations in, of English Braille. And I've, I've experienced this in, I went blind a few years back in my mid forties and uh, learned English Braille and then went on to learn um, a Welsh Braille and seeing that, that Welsh Braille was essentially a transliteration of English rather than its own code. So I was just interested in how that, how that worked. Yes, uh, fortunately, all our local languages use the Roman alphabet. Um, when the Unified Braille Code was adopted in Toronto and Canada in 2004, South Africa was one of the first countries to, to adopt it. And then we set about adapting all the codes of our local languages um, according to the, the, the principles of the UEB. So uh, all 11 our languages have identical grade one codes. Obviously the grade two codes differ uh, tremendously. Now we have language families. Afrikaans is, is separate. Yes, Afrikaans is uh, very much like uh, simplified Dutch. Then we have the Nguni languages, uh, Isiposa and Isizulu, and they use the same grade two system. Then we have the Sutu languages, the Setswana, Sesutu, and Sepedi, and they use the same, they are mutually intelligible and they use the same braille code. And the other codes are, are separate. Uh, the one for Chivenda, the one for Siswati, one for Chitsonga, and one for Ndebele. Those are separate codes, but they, they all have grade two codes. Uh, what was very interesting uh, with my work on, on the Braille codes, I, uh, I figured out that Afrikaans and English Braille save about between 19 and 21 percent space. Uh, they, those, those two codes have over 180 contractions each. But uh, the, the SUTU tables are very, very economical. They save about 27 percent and they only have 70 contractions. So a lot of good thinking went into the, the compilation of that Braille code. Adriana, do you have anything to add from a you know a, a sort of a Macedonian perspective? Do you, do you face any of this uh, complexity that uh, the Chinese and the South Africans have to uh, contend with when it comes to uh, Braille codes? Well, Braille is you know generally the same like in English here, but like Braille math and Braille music is all the same. For Braille letters, most of them are the same, but we have some letters that are not. Uh, you know, in English, so for, for that we have uh, other signs, uh, and we don't have 
great to braille at all. We don't use contractions that hasn't been invented. And and there is this school of thought, isn't there, in some European countries that, that actually uh, even contracted braille is is an unnecessary complication and perhaps is a barrier to to entry. Yeah, some people think that uh, that so, and the students find it hard enough to uh, learn to read braille even in grade one and grade two, as many of them have multiple disabilities. They think that it will be harder. Yan, and we hear about China being, you know, the world's factory. Should a blind person want to pursue a career in science, technology, engineering, maths? Are those Braille codes sufficiently well developed? I think uh, it's insufficient um, because I did my master in disability studies. So I also need to learn um, quantitative research methods. So I need to read some graphics and some charts. Um, and that time I asked my Chinese peers, they said, um, um, yeah, China, China Broad Press, they uh, have sent a 3D printer for um, complicated Braille graphics and Braille chart. But it's really complicated and it takes a lot, lot of time for them to produce such um, graphic, graphical things. And also they have um, some real, um, um, it's like codes or some real uh, expression for different uh, mathematics or science symbols, but isn't enough. Um, you need to find some extra help, for example, to ask help from sighted people to read out the figures, charts, or uh, using different screen readers to read out the charts, yeah. So the potential exists for, for blind people to become scientists and, and, and engineers, but you're saying that, that a lot of the time they do need to use uh, sighted assistance to, to help access the information because braille isn't perhaps as as easy to understand as maybe it could be yeah um they still some uh some simple charts some simple diagrams can be um it's like transferred into braille but it, they are really complicated and it should um be very large um maybe you need to directly ask for help from side a person any, any of Christo, um, uh, Adriana, do, do you either have anything to, to contribute to that? I, I recently wanted to get hold of a Braille periodic table for my um, nephew uh, and had to order one from, from the US, which really wasn't um, a big drama. Would, would you be able to get your hands on, on technical material in, in your parts of the world? No, I don't think so. Since we don't you know, have the textbooks or things like that, other things are very hard to produce. Plus, I think we don't have the necessary stuff and people to help us like you know translate these things with the braille embossers and the computers so that's very hard Christo? Uh, we do produce uh, technical material uh, at a few of our schools they teach maths uh, we have 22 schools for the blind but i think at about three of them they teach maths we have to combat an attitude that that, uh, you know, at certain schools that blind people can't do maths, but, you know, uh, we know that that's false. Um, some blind people have excelled in maths. Um, 
but ESR two major oil production houses do produce technical material. Great stuff. Thank you, everyone. We're going to come to Christine McMillan now. And after Christine, we're going to come to Tracy. Uh, Christine, you are good to go. Thank you. Um, if I've understood um, Chinese Braille correctly, um, uh, China is my passion. And I've been talking to people in China for about 20 years. Um, if I've understood it correctly, they learn the Latin alphabet um, because they can't learn their own script. And that is how they learn Braille. I've got that right, haven't I, Yanan? Yeah, um, it's like um, China, uh, Braille, it's more, uh, how to say, they have been translated, um, they use the uh, Latin letters to um, consist Chinese pronunciation. So, um, how to say, it's only can pronounce, you, you can only pronounce it correctly, but without reading the whole paragraph or passage, you really don't know what the uh, simple word or simple letter mean. It's just right in a sense. So for some um, visually impaired people, it's really tough to understand traditional Chinese passages because in all each characters, um, sighted people can know which meaning it represents. But for us, we need to guess, always guess, then or ask our teacher to read out its modern version translation. Uh, transcript. It's um, so uh, using uh, Chinese Braille as daily conversation is fine, easy, but learning some traditional uh, things um, is really tough for us. And it's good to hear you there, Christine. You're a strong advocate for Braille, I know, and uh, thank you for all you do to um, promote um, Braille usage. Ben? Indeed, indeed. Thank you, Christine. We're going to come to Tracy. And after Tracy, we're going to come to Ain Kelly Costello, uh, if I've uh, got that name correct. So, uh, Tracy, you are good to go. This is for um, for uh, Yana, for the Chinese woman. Um, how long has Braille been in China? Because um, I I'm 61, and when I was about 10, there was... Um, a girl that came to the blind school in Brantford, Ontario, in Canada, um, her family moved for her education because they, at that time, that would have been like in the uh, beginning of the seventies, um, there wasn't Braille and they moved to Canada for her education. I guess it's over on uh, Braille in China, maybe you have been developed over uh, 60 years, over 60 years, but at the beginning, it only be used in very limited areas like Beijing spe uh, Special Education School or somewhere. Um, then um, it has been used uh, ex extensively. Um, and until now, because China uh, have many, many provinces, it's over 30s. So um, blind school isn't anywhere. Uh, visually impaired children um, can only attend school in the capital of their province or um, their, if their province have a really good uh, economic 
uh, status in China so they can be educated in their own city. Like me, I was born in a south province of China. Uh, in my province, until now, there are only two or three blind schools. Um, at least now, no visually impaired school in my city, in my hometown. So uh, I, I don't think uh, in 1970s, Braille have been promoted well uh, in China. Only certain areas can use it. I, I guess so. Good to know. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Yannan. I'm going to come to, I believe it's Anya Kelly Costello. And uh, after Anya, we're going to come to Carla. Uh, Anya, you are good to go. Yeah, thank you. Um, my question is for Christo. I wondered how long the codes that you were working on for the uh, South African local languages have been around and what the uptake of grade two uh, has been in terms of people sort of using it, um, finding it useful. It's really cool that it's more economic. But yeah, I, I just wonder if there's any, like whether that's been something that's been tracked at all. Yes, our oldest non-English code is the code for Afrikaans. That was developed in 1934, if I remember correctly. Uh, the codes for the other languages were developed uh, from around 1980, but some of them have undergone uh, revisions and they're all new. And then, of course, after 2004, they were all revised when they were they were when they were unified. Uh, does that answer the question? And like whether grade two has been like widely used and yeah. Um, yes, there's a strong uptake for grade two. Um, I remember that at the stage, I think many of you will know about Dr. William Rowland. He was the president of the World Blind Union was a prominent South African. He was at that stage, he just retired from the SA National Council for the Blind where he was the national executive director. Um, he came to the Braille Authority with a suggestion that they should discontinue grade two for African languages, which would make it easier for people to learn the languages. And there was uh, nearly a revolution in the country. Um, you know, I'm very ambivalent about that myself. I can see all the benefits of not, have, not having grade two Braille. But I, I believe that if you should discontinue, you would have a revolution. Adriana, just before we go to the next question, I wondered, as a teacher in, in, in Macedonia, uh, how, how do you feel about um, contracted uh, grade two Braille? Grade two Braille, I can use it myself. Uh, but I think for students, there are not enough resources to be able to teach it in a way that they need to learn. Like we try to help some of them with contractions, what we know and and all that. But generally, you know, they find English reading and, and spelling a bit difficult, most of them. And they have some problems with reading speed in Macedonian as well, which makes it harder to. Because clearly, you know, the benefits of a contracted code are 
takes up less space and uh, is potentially quicker to to read uh, are those benefits worth the extra effort of of learning contracted braille in your view i think that you know people that are more enthusiastic and that want to do it yes but when it comes to making books there would be probably more extra things to do in translations and braille bosses and all that which most companies are not willing to do for a small market. So I'm not sure how that would be done unless we get some help from outside. I'm going to come to Carla next. And uh, after Carla, we're going to come to Mitchell. Uh, Carla, you are unmuted. Hi there, yeah. It was just um, a question whether um, in um, Braille with um, Cantonese Braille, is that is there a different code for uh, Cantonese Braille to uh, Chinese Braille or um, any sort of regional differences as the country is so vast? Yeah, um, I'm thinking about this question because I, uh, my mother tongue is Chinese Mandarin. So um, I did my undergraduate degree in China. So some friends, some um, my classmates, they are born in Quantum, so Quantum province. And so they have their own language and they told me they have their Braille alphabets. It's quite different from Chinese Mandarin, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know how to use them. Um, and also um, Cantonese Braille has been used in Hong Kong and uh, yeah, some parts of China. It's a different system and limited books were published in Cantonese Braille. Maybe Hong Kong and um, their books are mostly published in Cantonese Braille. Yeah. Good to know and good question as well, Carla. Uh, we're going to come to Mitchell next and then Dave, after Mitchell, uh, we can take some quick fire questions from the chat if you like. Uh, we can go to the panel. Yep, that'd be great. Thank you, Ben. Great. Uh, Mitchell, you are now unmuted. I just wanted to reflect on uh, uh, contracted braille in uh, Europe countries, which um, are speaking Slovak language, Slavic languages. Uh, the problem is that these languages are um, very variable. The, the, the words are changing a lot in uh, the endings of the words and so on. So it's not so easy to uh, to set up any uh, patterns for for grade two. Uh, I'm not saying that it's not possible, but this may be a problem for for these countries, as for example Slovakia, uh, from which I'm speaking now. Uh, this problem is just about this, that language doesn't allow so much uh, contractions because it, it, it comes to uh, a point when uh, contractions are like more complication than, than actually helpful. So maybe just to, to, to sound this um, uh, about the language difference. <laughs> Yeah, so you're basically providing a comment that uh, it really is language dependent as to whether contracted Braille is, is functionally useful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Uh, so thank you for that um, comment. So, Ben, I think you had some quickfire questions from the chat. Yeah. So a question from Chris, uh, question to Christo uh, first, rather, uh, from Ed. Ed is wondering whether you would recommend the uh, TetraPoint Brailers uh, over Perkins uh, without reservation, or is that mainly due to the decreased cost? Well, we started off by being mainly on account of the decreased cost, but we are getting very good use uh, from them. Um, we've been importing them now for probably four years, and they are at schools, and kids can be quite rough with, with their equipment. And our group who have been trained to, to fix them have received one to fix in those four years. What could other countries do to help the adoption and advancement of Braille in your country? So let's let's come to you, Adriana. What what would you like if, if there were more international cooperation? Um, what 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 could other countries do to support Macedonia in in a, you know in adopting and and developing uh, Braille in your part of the world? When it comes to sustainability, I think that. We don't have any uh, blindness shops in this country, so we can't even get real paper or anything. If we import as a school, it's not even possible to do it law-wise because we're an educational institution. So the you know the import of these things can be eased maybe by some kind of uh, procedure or you know changing the law or international help. Also, the whole cost is really great, so not many people can afford most of these items and uh, services and repairs. I think we need uh, courses and we need some kind of uh, sustainability to be able to get some ongoing help when it comes to getting spare parts on time and, and, and somehow getting finances on time to be able to to do that so that we can keep on working with our students because some things just can't wait. So I think those are the main things. And then when it comes to books, I think that we need more staff that is trained in both Braille and computers so that they understand both aspects of Braille transcription. We don't have this kind of degree in this country. So now a few people are helping a bit, but as there are gaps in the whole we encounter even more do you have any thoughts about this uh, about this question of, of greater international cooperation um, I think maybe for my country we need more cooperation with uh, braille uh, technology braille equipments affordable braille equipments um, because traditional braille uh, writers or sailors they are affordable but they're not enough in current, um, in today. But um, Braille readers, Braille display, electronic Braille uh, computer, they are quite expensive for most students. So yeah, that's all. And, and Christo, as the immediate past president of the International Council on English Braille, you've played obviously a very active part in international cooperation uh, across the English-speaking world. From what you've heard 
over the last hour or so uh, and and your own experience, what areas do you think uh, are in desperate need of, of greater international cooperation when it comes to the advancement of, of Braille usage and adoption? I think um, assisting to resource, under-resourced countries um, in projects like Braille training and uh, the provision of Braille and also about creating a greater awareness of the importance of Braille. You know, there's a perception that we are continuously fighting here, especially from academics who make statements like, you know, the advances in technology are making Braille redundant. And we have to continuously um, explain why Braille can never become redundant. Um, So, you know, in, in those areas, if we can get international cooperation, um, some of our organizations like the International Council for the Blind and Blind SA form partnerships with international countries. Um, we have a partnership, for example, with the British High Commission who have helped us to resource uh, us to produce um, a large number of local books, contents uh, for insertion into Bookshare. Uh, South Africa is providing a free membership to Bookshare um, to to, uh, South Africans. So, um, you know, through that cooperation, they've enabled us to produce much local content to insert. And and that is the the kind of partnerships that that would be many uh, very meaningful. I believe our very own Matthew Horsepool had a quick question. Uh, Matthew? Good evening. Uh, it was a very simple yes or no question, actually, uh, about the Tatra Point. I was very interested in that discussion because I've come across the Tatra Point from time to time but never actually seen one. And uh, one of the things about the Perkins Brailler is that it can't do double-sided Braille, and I wondered whether the Tatra Point could. No, it can't. No. Okay. So there's no advantage there. Oh, well, thanks for ask- answering anyway. Let's let's have some final thoughts then. Uh, Adriana, um, thank you so much uh, for joining us this evening. Clearly, as a teacher, you're you're facing a whole range of, of challenges. Any any final thoughts that you would like to leave us with on this World Braille Day? Oh, thanks very much for inviting me. I think these discussions are good because we can you know keep getting to know about how things are in, in the world, and as long as we have some solutions on how we can keep on talking and doing what we can do and somehow get some ways of, of keeping up with info and uh, applying to different projects or, or doing some work. I think that's also kind of difficult get yeah, when it comes to international help and uh, <clears throat> people from outside coming to help out directly. Yannan, a lot of interest in how Braille works in, in China tonight. Do you have any final thoughts for us on World Braille Day? Oh, oh I'm really happy to be here. And uh, in the future, if any of you have any question related to China and Braille in China or, yeah, anything like that, uh, please feel free to ask in 
uh, Brawlers Foundation. I will try my best to answer and nothing more. I'm really, really happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And Christo, unaccustomed as you are to public speaking, do you have a, a, a pearl or two of wisdom to share? My final thought is one that could elicit a whole huge discussion on its own. It's a matter of, of copyright. We have an issue here that when we uh, produce uh, books in Braille, we have to apply for copyright to publishers because our country has no copyright exemption legislation. We have not ratified Marrakesh. And we get copyright permission only for about 10% of our requests. So that is really a major issue for us. That is causing what we call the book famine. And that is why we are currently involved in litigation against our government. Actually, we've, we, we won a case against the government um, on the 21st of September, uh, you know, declaring the, the 1978 Copyright Act unconstitutional in this respect. And that government must now provide copyright exemptions and ratify the Marrakesh Treaty within 12 months. Uh, it has to be approved by the Constitutional Court. And we've got a case number, so the matter is in front of the Constitutional Court. We hope that we will get that soon. So that, that is a major battle we have at the moment as far as literacy in, in all its forms, Braille and audio and basing, everything is concerned. Thank you very much for the invitation. I, I'm honored to be here um, and I've, in, I've looked forward to this and I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Christo de Klerk from South Africa, bringing to a close Braille Around the World, a special event recorded live on Tuesday the 4th of January 2022 to mark World Braille Day. The other panellists were Yana New from China and Adriana Prokopenko from Macedonia. The event was moderated by Ben Mustill-Rose and hosted by Dave Williams. Just before we go, a note about an event coming up on the 30th of April in Bristol using Braille displays with phones and tablets. It's being organised by Paul Sullivan and you can find more information about it on the Braillists website at braillists.org. If you live in the UK and you fancy a trip to Bristol on the 30th of April, it's taking place between 2pm and 4pm and it will be followed by one of our customary Braille and beer events. Do look at the website and email Paul if you'd like to attend. It's completely free of charge and it will take place at the Bristol Braille Technology premises in Bedminster in Bristol. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Brailcast, the official podcast of the Brailists Foundation. You can find more Braille-related content by subscribing to Brailcast, all one word, in your podcast client of choice. Or listening to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Brailists everywhere on your smart speaker. You can also find past episodes on our website at brailcast.com. If you have comments on the podcast or suggestions of topics or guests for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Please email help at braylists.org. You can also find the Braylists on Twitter at Braylists or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Foundation. Finally, if you like what you've heard, spread the word. 
New listeners are always welcome. So if you know other people who are interested in Braille, please tell them where to find us. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone at the Braillists, thanks for listening and bye for now. The costs of producing this episode were defrayed by a grant from the Activate Fund of the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust. For more information, visit wcmt.org.uk.